0: Hello and welcome back to In A Click Podcast with Jamili Baroud. Thank you so much for joining me today to learn with and from Gerald Walton. He is a professor who speaks with a wide variety of audiences about topics like bullying, violence, sexuality, pop culture, and gender identity and diversity. Here to talk to me today about bullying discourses in education and in pop culture, please welcome the incredibly brilliant Gerald Walton. Based on your perception, whether or not it's research-based or just your perception of what you see in the media and what we see in society, do you think that efforts to root out bullying or to curb bullying have been successful so far?
1: Absolutely not. Yeah. (laughs) Concretely, absolutely not. And, you know, I've described this verbally in presentations and and in writing somewhere. I can't remember exactly where it was. (laughs) I've described it as banging my head against a brick wall because we there's so much... Uh, Time and effort and energy put into this thing called bullying or Mm. or anti-bullying, right? Trying to figure out ways of of dealing with it and trying to reduce it, or as some people say, which I've never ever bought into, eliminate bullying, which is just Uh, not going to happen. (laughs) Um, And and yet, you know, here it is, 2020, and bullying is, I, I would even say it's worse than it was when I was a kid like i mean i mean not only are there online venues through which bullying happens a ton and that didn't exist when i was a kid no. but it, it is so pronounced in a world that seems hell bent on people divided by identity mm. and other people i.e world leaders using those identities as a way to amass support, uh, and that is stigmatizing those identities and um, uh, pointing fingers at certain groups of people in the world to say you're the cause of our economic downfall, or you're the cause of this, or you know whatever it is, mm-hmm. and that's how they get elected, right? So this is populist politics happening, right? And you know I, I don't talk about that as a way of shifting the focus to politics. I talk about things like that as a way of connecting all the pieces together, at least in my own mind, mm-hmm. right? So that kind of That kind of rhetoric that we see in politicians running for office at a number of different levels in a number of different countries very powerfully shapes the minds and the opinions of people in those nations Mm -hmm. and certainly their supporters.
0: Um,
1: And that's how they've gained support is through fear of difference. Uh, Exactly
0: yeah it's interesting because I think I think often of my older sister Anita who is a lesbian and is an MMA fighter and is incredible. I think for her, it's interesting. Identity is interesting to me because coming out was powerful for her. She mm-hmm. she regained a sense of identity and she could name it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like for me, I de- the, to name something sometimes can be empowering to name your identity, but then also those identities be- can become rigid and also divide people. And so mm-hmm. I'm always curious about how to...
1: How to balance that? Like, where do we go? Well, you know, yeah, it, it's a very interesting two-edged sword, I mm-hmm. guess, if that's the right metaphor to use. Yeah. Right. So, on one hand, identity is empowering for people who are marginalized, right? Mm-hmm. And for sexuality and gender minorities, especially, although not exclusively, um, there is a process by which most of us have had to come to terms with our own identity as a way of being okay with being in our own skin, right? Mm -hmm. Um, On the other hand, to other people, for a lot of different other reasons, those identities can be used against us. Mm -hmm. So, you know, your story about your sister is a very good example, and I can can relate to aspects of that story, uh, because it was, I'm presuming anyways, Aspects of her identity, i.e. her difference, that was instigating the bully to do what he or she, I'm not sure which, was doing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in the world, we have things going on, uh, um, when it comes to sexuality and gender, that is, where... There seems to be a resurgence in many places of the world mm-hmm. where sexuality and gender are once again becoming a source of not only bullying at an individual level, but bullying at a national level. So here's a good example. Okay. Here's a good example.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, in Poland right now, these days that is, mm. they have instituted what are called LGBT free zones. So there are zones in the city where supposedly, yeah, quite, yeah. And so, I mean, it it does a number of obvious things, but one of the things that it does is for the majority of people who don't understand what it means to be LGBTQ, et cetera, many of those people will go, okay, that, that sounds great, especially if the politicians who are kind of in charge are speaking a lot of trash about lgbtq people and saying what a threat we are to you know traditional family life and and to their kids and everything else and people will buy into that and we've seen that in north america too Mm -hmm. like this is not anything unique to poland but what is unique Mm -hmm. is the whole lgbt free zone i mean i i had never heard of that before i have to admit but that's what's happening right now and in, in various places in you know uh, uh, various countries in Africa, there's a resurgence of virulent hatred against LGBTQ people and you know that's just a uh, a mirror of what goes on in some aspects in Canada and the United States. so you know I don't point out these other countries as a way of saying, mm-hmm. look at how backwards they are compared mm-hmm. to us. that's not it at all oh. um, we've We've certainly had our moments and and still are. Yeah, and, and still are. I mean, right. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very lucky as uh, a gay person to be in Canada mm.
0: um,
1: with all of the human rights legislation that we have. But those, those things came uh, through a lot of very difficult decades of fighting and they can be taken away. And we still have a lot of homophobia on the street. So, you know, we still... I, have I just right. almost want to cry. It's like really awful to hear. Um,
0: but I guess... What are some of the motivations for this type of behavior, whether we're, we're talking on like a large global scale where, where there's these LGBTQ free zones or whether we're speaking in Canada where there's, a, you know, hyperbullying going on online and in schools,
1: like what are the motivations for bullying? Well, that's a huge question. Yeah. Um, I think part of the answer is that if we can stigmatize somebody else who is not like we are, mm-hmm. then we are affirming ourselves in our own identities. Mm-hmm and in our own normalcy, I -hmm. guess, right? So if we can look at, you know, a group of people, whether it's sexuality or gender or race or physical or mental ability, and say in some way, shape or form, those people are are inferior to me, therefore I'm normal, Mm -hmm. right? It just sort of affirms our normalcy by comparison. I think the bullying serves a very powerful social purpose in that Mm -hmm. way. Okay, but these things aren't uniform either. And so, depending on what's going on in any particular society, at any particular political time, the target of those kinds of ideas shift and change right? so it's never it's never sort of a consistent thing, necessarily all the time. But it is an act of,
0: regardless, it's always an act of power. If you're trying to belittle someone, then that means that you're putting yourself mm-hmm. in a position of power or social status. So it is yeah, whether it's or not definitely
1: power.
0: right. Whether or not that's the you know that that's the intent or not, that's kind of the way that it plays out. Um, and I read an article that you wrote a little bit about um, um pleasure as well. So we talk about power, and then there's also like these pleasure. I mean, I'll let you speak to it because I'm not sure that I fully understand.
1: Well, you know, and I, I will say that this isn't the research I've done, but mm-hmm. this is research that I know has been done. Right. And one of the things that that research was getting at was what I think is a, a, is a big missing piece in research on bullying, which is that some research is looking into how bullying is a pleasurable thing mm-hmm. as a way of explaining, or at least part, partly explaining, why it is so persistent in society, why people still, not just kids, but why people bully so much, right? So there's, there's, a, there's an act of pleasure in the bullying. And, and you mentioned a bit ago about power.
0: Mm.
1: One of the things that this research is getting at, this body of research is getting at, is that yes, it's an act of power. Yes, it's about power. But with power, there is pleasure. And so if we can enact power over somebody else even in the act of bullying mm-hmm. then there's something very pleasurable about that in a in a physiological biological sense and so there's a rush, a rush of endorphins and there's all sorts of other things like that going on and i don't <clears> really have the language because that's not the research that i do no. but, it, but it makes sort of but it makes sense to me yeah. that If a bully is bullying somebody and they're getting their kicks out of it and, you know, other people around them are validating them um, for for the bullying that they're doing and that they're, they're, you know, um, enacting a kind of dominance over Mm -hmm. somebody else or a group of people, it makes sense to me that that is going to have its effects biologically,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Right not unlike how, I don't know, watching certain media gives a brain rush or right. other things give a brain rush, right? There's pleasure in all sorts of things. And it makes sense to me that bullying would not be an exception to that. Absolutely, and even in thinking about that, I don't think that
0: um, feeling pleasure doesn't mean that you don't feel shame. Like I'm thinking of because I don't think kids who bully are, are bad kids necessarily. I think that there's always reasons for their 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 behavior. Adults maybe a different story, but for youth, I think that there's you know we can be a bit more flexible with the way that we think about it. And so I imagine if there was a bullying instance and that person for a moment felt powerful, for a moment felt like they belonged or they were being seen, um, and perhaps at home they're not feeling like they belong or they're being Seen, maybe in that moment they get that exhilarating feeling of pleasure but i still i mean that doesn't mean that there's no shame that they feel afterwards or regret whether or not they voice that or not and i think i just think that that's maybe an important element to to piece in because i hate that dichotomy between like bully is bad and like bullied is you know victim and good and i don't know that that that's that's true um but I, I totally see what you're saying. And the way that you explain it is a lot, I understand it a lot better than when I read it.
1: <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, and I and I, and I I agree with you. And I, I think you've raised a, a great point about um, this idea that, you know, bullies are somehow bad. I, I think in general, we as a society are far too invested in this good-bad dichotomy thing. Yes. Like, you know, there, there's, there's good and there's bad. Okay, sure. Yeah, that's, that's fine. But what I have mm, always tried to focus on in the work that I do anyway mm. is not looking at bullying as something that is bad, even though it obviously has its negative harmful effects.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, uh, but I, you know, I don't sort of essentialize kids who bully as being, you know, bad. Right. Um, but what I have tried to do, and what I still try to do in a lot of ways, is try to understand what the motivation is for doing it in the first place, and why it is so tenacious. Why right. it is such a tenacious thing in uh, in society and in human behavior? Right? Yeah. It's, it seems to be. It's not something that you know just sort of we started doing fifty years ago. It's it's always been around, and that's exactly. you know. So so again with my mm. background in sociology, I tried to look at it as okay, what what's going on here beyond the behavior? And let's get away from good and bad. Mm-hmm. What's going on here? Like what how do we how do we understand what's going on in this in these kinds of not only immediate situations between mm-hmm. two people, but looking at it more broadly. What what purpose is this serving? What is going on?
0: Yeah. And you made a really good point in your article about like this learned behavior as well, because we see it, we see bullying, if we can call it bullying in the media. It's so rampant, but it's also very accepted unless it crosses a a really extreme line, like in the case of John Cherry. (laughs) And, but that's been going on forever. Like since I was a kid, I remember that happening. So when it, when they, when he left, I was like, I, I understand, but at the same time, this has been rampant and going on for years. So, mm. you know, it's just like a strange, it's strange. It was all very strange to me. So like, there's a very fine line, but, and if you cross that line, then you're no longer accepted. But if you balance that line, then it's okay, right? Yeah, and if that
1: behavior is framed within what might be called norms, mm then that's how it gets perpetuated decade after decade after decade. And so Don Cherry is a good example of what I would describe as harmful behavior that largely went unchecked Mm -hmm. because it was within the framework of gender norms, Mm -hmm. uh, in his case anyways, um, Mm -hmm. until he went too far, uh, until he went too far. And, you know, I think he's an example of someone who did not change with the times and the Times eventually, pardon the expression, but the Times eventually bit him in the ass yeah. when he made that comment. It, had he made that comment exactly as he made it five, ten years ago. He, no repercussions, I imagine. Right. Yeah. Right. But, but um, things had changed and he did not change with it. So, right.
0: alas, here we are. <laughs> You know, I, I I don't mean to make light of it by any means, but in my, for me as a figure growing up, he was always like that grandparent who just like was tainted by the way that he was brought up. Um, And I know that it's no excuse. I'm not putting it, I'm not making an excuse Mm -hmm. for him. It's just interesting to see, especially this younger generation, I guess this generational transmission of bullying and racism and sexism and homophobia, you know, that trickles down. And I don't know that I don't know that youth are being taught well enough how to be critical of the things that they consume online and in the media. And I and I think that that's probably contributing to why it's so rampant, why bullying is so rampant right now. Because also now we see it all. We see it all. And all, oftentimes it's glamorized and people are making money and get more publicity because of this, right? And so it seems like a really complicated... A really complicated thing to tackle but what do you, what is your perspective on the current bullying prevention methods like in terms of backlash and whether or not it's working like how do we move forward from here what are the lessons learned
1: well i think you're right i think it's hugely complex i think it's i think it's way more complex than policy can ever address mm-hmm. complex, yeah. right so so that's that's for me that's one of the um, one of the aspects of all this is that policy can only do so much policy can never be the solution.
0: Um,
1: and you know, I I think that there's sort of a tendency to think, okay, educational policy, what can we do with it? And we need to revise policy. We need to strengthen it, et cetera. And you know, maybe, maybe there's there's truth to that, Mm -hmm. but nevertheless, there's, there's always limitations because it's such a big, difficult topic. And so one of the things I've always argued is, Uh, Bullying is not just this behavior that happens, Mm -hmm. it's connected to social attitudes, social norms, political strategies, political purposes, Mm -hmm. um, all that sort of stuff. And it's also connected to history, so this makes it even more complex. Um, So, you know, in Canada and and a number of other countries, we live in colonial nations, and we still are, we we are, people like me, i.e. white folks, European white folks, uh, are still benefiting from... The history that formed Canada in the first place—you mm-hmm. know—racism is pretty rampant in this country against Indigenous people still. Yes, um, and so that's another aspect that it that it plays out in, right? And so, I think that you're right in how we haven't grasped. How bullying plays out, why it happens in the first place, and yes, also educational policy on how to deal and grapple, grapple with it in a in a much more effective way. To be really honest with you, mm-hmm. I'm I'm no longer sure, or I'm no longer confident in what educational policy and curriculum can do that can really sort of mitigate bullying in a really significant and also sustained way. Mm. Uh, you know there's there's anti-bullying uh policies and programs that have had some benefit yeah but i'm i'm not at all convinced that those benefits are can be sustained in the long term Mm -hmm. because of the things that you pointed out i.e the influence of um online media and social media and those sorts of things like those are profoundly powerful things in most people's lives but certainly the lives of people under you know 25 and certainly kids yeah who never live without it <laughs> so <laughs> who never different lived, <laughs> Who never live without it and then people my age some people my age are going well you know just get off social media well and my response to that as well you know easy for us to say exactly. but it is not that easy it is not that easy it really isn't that actually brings me to um i
0: asked some of the listeners to provide some questions for you you have a few fans which is <laughs> lovely to see all the excitement but it, um one of the questions was do you think that teacher education needs specific required courses on gender and sexual diversity and i I think that that speaks to this conversation right because regardless of policy and curriculum if teachers are educated to be more sensitive to, to these large issues in society perhaps we might be able to, to penetrate it a bit better um what do you think
1: so the word that i struggle with in that question is required okay Ooh. um right so yeah so it, it's it's a it's a bit of a tricky thing because if, if something is required, then what's what's going to happen, and, and I'm experiencing this, what's going to happen is there's going to be some people who are fully on board, and then there's going to be others who are in that room resentfully or online resentfully, whichever the case may be. Right. So on one hand, I think, yes, requiring um, a course in, um, gender mm-hmm. uh at the professional program level i think is is a good idea but the mm-hmm. pitfall is that some of there's going to be a certain proportion of students and i can't really say how many but at least some who are going to be there resentfully because they don't want to hear what you have to say or what this is all about because mm-hmm. they, they don't buy into it in the first place so One of the things I sometimes get accused of in student evaluations is how left-wing I am and how how I have a left-wing agenda and, you know, all of these other things. And I'm talking about in the courses that I teach in the professional program that are required. So right now at Lakehead, we have a course called Social Social Differences in Education. It's now required. It used to be an elective that I taught called Diversity in Education but now it's required. Okay. And so, you know, most students in the room are on board and they're, you know, learning and, you know, whatever. Um, but there is a certain contingent and I, I can see it in the room and I can certainly see it in assignments and certainly in student evaluations Mm. where they just think that this is a lot of politically correct nonsense What's wrong with so, that? Okay. <laughs> well, exactly, right. But the the whole required thing, yes, I, I totally get it. But it it doesn't come it doesn't come easily. It doesn't come without problems. And it could lead to mo- to further backlash. Yeah. Yes. Which is absolutely. what we're trying to
0: avoid. Okay. Actually, I remember that. Do you remember? At, oh, maybe you don't. Okay. So uh, and at Lakehead when I was there was that 2013, 2014 maybe. Um, like yeah. yeah um, the engineering program made a course on indigeneity. Uh, mandatory, and the engineering students were furious. Yes, yes. And so I, re- I remember that, and all the tension that was circulating around it. And mm-hmm. I, and I, at that moment, I didn't realize that that w- what you're saying was right. Making something required can actually lead to further backlash, can cause more problems, especially if those students aren't prepared for it or aren't. Um, I don't know how to explain it. Like, like there needs to be some sort of transition in their learning. Otherwise it's like they're going from zero to a hundred and they don't understand the in-between, like the necessity of it. Right. Because they don't have that knowledge. They're just ignorant to it. So it's like, I, it's, it's really, really complex. I'm glad you made that point. Cause I never thought about it like that
1: until you just said that. It's, it's really complex and it's also difficult <clears throat> for the instructors. So in yeah. required, in required courses on, Um, colonialism or indigenous learning or whatever it might be called Mm -hmm. what happens a lot is yes there's there's a number of students probably more than in a required gender course Mm -hmm. who resent having to be there and resent having to learn this stuff and what happens then is that it's the instructor who gets ripped to shreds in student evaluations but the problem is those student evaluations are one of the key pieces for promotion and tenure. Yeah. So there's a a kind of institutional equity issue Mm -hmm. going on at play in in these sorts of of things. Uh, Not to mention how courses like this have a lot of emotional labor that Mm -hmm. other courses do not, right? So we who teach these kinds of courses, and this isn't a complaint at all, it's just sort of stating the fact, we who teach these courses have a lot of aspects of teaching to deal with that, other courses don't require. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, So constantly managing the hostility of students is one of those things. Mm -hmm. And it's hard not to take that home with you. Right. Mm
0: -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I have a colleague, Heather Woods, she's fantastic and amazing. And she was doing research on bullying. And so Heather, I apologize if I get this wrong, but from what I understand, she was trying to recruit participants. Like, I don't know if it was like school boards or teachers to deal with bullying prevention. And, one of the common responses she received was that they're transitioning to student resilience and leaving behind bullying. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, A, have you heard that? And B, what do you think? Um, I, I I have heard that, uh, not, not extensively, but mm-hmm. I, I have heard that. And I don't know, my initial impression is And I may be wrong about this, but my initial sort of reaction is, well, why are we focusing on students as kind of the solution for these kinds of bigger issues? Like, is it that we have just sort of, we we have not been successful at dealing with anti-bullying stuff, and so we're going to now shift focus, and we're going to to use Mm -hmm. the word that drives me crazy, pivot, away from... bullying because it's just it's such a monster to this other thing where if we if we we're looking at resilience then we can deal uh then each student is sort of held more responsible for their own resilience or lack of right that's my initial gut reaction to that mm-hmm. actually i thought so too i if
0: it sounded like victim blaming to me a little bit yeah, like it absolutely. Get, be stronger and i say this all the time like my dad as a Lebanese man, raised us that way, like raised us very much to be like, you are in control, you you are powerful, you are strong. And I appreciate that. Of course, those are great things to learn, but when you're being wronged and regardless of the level of strength that you have, you don't have any institutional support or parental support or like Mm -hmm. principal support or teacher support. Like if you're a lone ranger, there's very little that you can do regardless of how strong you are or how Mm -hmm. resilient you are. So that was, my initial reaction to it too um yeah and and it doesn't it
1: doesn't change it doesn't change anything really it doesn't change school culture it doesn't change school policy it doesn't deal with curriculum issues or or topics in curriculum it doesn't it it doesn't change anything yeah just sort of like you said and i like the phrase that you use um it just sort of holds individual responsible and it's it's yet another form of victim exactly um in relation to that question there was another listener
0: question about um the utility of having a definition of bullying and they're wondering if we're using different terminologies to describe very similar interpersonal conflict phenomena so they gave the example of harassment and bullying um and what do we gain or lose from from these i guess definitional differences or what do you think
1: I mean, part of me thinks it's it's academic, right? Um, you know, spreading hairs and and coming up with sort of some def- definitional parameter for these different terms. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm an academic myself, and so I understand that that can be a really useful enterprise for understanding different phenomenon, different phenomena in society. Mm. Um, on the other hand, you know, if a kid is being targeted for you know, being a racial minority or being physically disabled or Mm. being, you know, perceived as gay or something. Mm -hmm. Um, Those definitional parameters don't mean diddly squat. I tend to think of bullying as something more specific than harassment. But, you know, this is just me talking. Mm. Um, I tend to think of bullying as more related to some kind of social difference. Um, Whether it's to do with Race, gender, sexuality, you know anything else you can think of, whereas harassment, I think, can be a much more general thing harassment doesn 't necessarily need to be tied to any kind of identity mm-hmm. necessarily mm-hmm. that 's what i that 's how I sort of see it, as. Mm-hmm. and so you know I guess one could could look at it as harassment as a as, has a wider sort of range or parameter to it where bullying is. I don't know a subset of harassment, maybe yeah. something like that. That's
0: that how I look sense. at it. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. Um, so I guess one of the last questions I want to ask, just trying to shift this into like more of a, a proactive <laughs> ending, mm-hmm. is just for like everybody listening, regardless of age or what you do, or whether you're dealing with bullying or witnessing bullying or dealing with bullying. Like, what are some little things that we can all do? to just be better humans and to tackle this in a way that maybe isn't institutional or enforced by policy or curriculum, but just small efforts we can make in our communities?
1: Well, there's a couple of things. Okay. <laughs> I'm all yours. <laughs> one, one is, and this is actually easy to do, and it's also really hard to do. And I'm, and I'm speaking from personal experience yeah. on that. Um, but one of the things that I think we can do, everyone, um, is to listen. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, if we can listen to what people who identify themselves in a way that we don't, Mm -hmm. if we can listen to them, and their stories about marginalization, and their stories about bullying, and, you know, understand more of the history uh, that has gone on without judgment and without labeling something so quickly as politically correct in Mm -hmm. a negative way, then I think we're going to be far better off. And so, you know, just to personalize this for a minute, um, I fully recognize that, um, although I didn't know it before, uh, I've come to realize that as a White male in the kind of society we live in. Mm. I am enormously privileged. I didn't. I didn't know that as a kid. I didn't know any. I didn't know the colonial history of the country. I didn't know. I didn't know anything. Mm. Um, I didn't understand Canada as a white country and how Canada was built as a white country. And so now, 2020, it still is the case that um, I'm enormously privileged as a white person. What I would like um, is for people like me, white people like me who came to understand Canada as a country of people who look like me, mm-hmm. what I would want us to understand or, or to do is just to listen to Indigenous people, especially. Just listen. I think that there's an awful lot of talking, mm-hmm. and I'm doing it right now, mm-hmm. um, but, but, but only because I'm being asked to. You are. <laughs> but but I, think, I think in general, there's an awful lot of talking um, by a lot of people who don't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of white folks don't know what they're talking about. A lot of white folks still don't understand colonialism and the effects that that's had on Indigenous people and how that has shaped the country.
0: Yeah.
1: So, you know, as a matter of bullying, Indigenous kids get bullied. And, um, you know, Indigenous people in this country are looked at still very negatively. Yes. by By a lot of people who look like me and others, I might add. Yes. And so what I would want us to do is just stop and listen and learn. Right, mm-hmm. and so you know that's the that's the other part of listening. It's not just listening and forgetting it. It's listening and trying to understand and trying to to learn. I mean, I, and by understand, I don't mean okay, I know what it's like being in their shoes. That's not what I mean by understand. No. I just mean understanding more of the context of of what's going on right. in this country right now by understanding the historical context. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes I think education. Really, we have so much to learn, and we're not really getting anywhere. No. And you know, all of these social prejudices still exist, and they keep you know rising up. And mm. you know, I sometimes I I can't help it, sort of get marred and all the negative stuff. But mm. the last couple of years, I've I've come to see this more and more. Actually, that the classroom is where I see hope.
0: Okay, and this is the very last segment of the show, and it's called okay. "Finish the Sentence." So I start the sentence, and you finish it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay so. I use blank emoji
1: the most. Um, Probably the the laughter one. Mm, Cute, like the hysterically laughing one. No, no, just the mildly laughing one. The mild laugh, not the full on. The the mildly laughing. You can tell that mine
0: would be the like hysterical laughter emoji. (laughs) Um, If I had a magic power, it would be.
1: If I had a magic power, it would be to make myself invisible. Mm. I like that one. That's a good answer. To roam around wherever I wanted without being known.
0: I like that too. This is the second last one. So if I could tell my younger self anything, I would say.
1: It's going to be okay. Mm. Uh, this isn't all on you. Mm-hmm. Let it go. You will survive. I mean, you know, the, the cliche is just, it's, it's true. And mm-hmm. thus a cliche. If I knew then what I know now, I'd be much I would have been a much less anxious kid. And, you know, so part of what I would want to tell myself at that age is, you know what, you're doing fine. This is not your fault. Like, just Mm. keep going. Carry on. Yeah, you'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, simple, simple words, but sometimes kids who need to hear that don't hear that. No, right? I agree, and it's true.
0: When you're younger, it seems like the whole world sometimes is falling down around you, and you don't see a future, you don't
1: see past it,
0: because you don't know, you you can't imagine it. Um, but it gets better.
1: It gets better. It it, it it does, and that's something that I did not know as a kid, mm-hmm. and I I could not hang on to, which is you know why I was most of my junior high and high school years I was really suicidal. Like I mm-hmm. thought about suicide a ton. I don't know if I. Uh, have mentioned that before, but, um, but, you know, that's part of my story that I'm very open about. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, just after high school, I tried twice, but, but you're right. To to your point, had I had some understanding that, you know, a future lies beyond all this Mm -hmm. stuff, um, probably I would not have been, so prone to thinking those kinds of ways. It's a good time for most young people to hear that. So thank you.
0: Oh yeah, totally. And my last question for you, what's one good thing that either you did for someone or someone did for you online that made your day?
1: When I have been told, and this is what other people do for me, um, when I have been told online in some way, shape or form that I've made somebody else's day by kind of validating their experience not by giving them you know unsolicited advice or anything like that but just sort of validating their experience just Mm -hmm. by kind of you know reflecting what they've been through um that 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 really sort of makes my day when somebody else reflects to me that oh you know you actually made a difference in this in this moment or in this day Mm. that's really cool Thank well, you so much, thanks, Gerald. Thanks, thanks for this opportunity and of sort of, you know, inviting me to do this. It's it's been a real pleasure. And it's great seeing you again.
0: It was so good to see you too. I learned a lot. Have a great okay. day, Gerald.
1: <laughs> Sounds good. You Bye. too, Janelle. See you later.
0: Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed our conversation as much as I did. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. I'd love to hear what you think and anything more or less that you'd like to learn about. Comment here or you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jamili.barood, J-A-M-I-L-E-E dot B-A-R-O-U-D. Until next time, shine light online and I'll talk to you soon.